0: The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, Judging the 12 trials of Israel. This is God's word.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, we are uh, once again uh, at the series, Come to the Table. And this time, uh, we are considering coming to the Lord's Table. Come to the Lord's Table. What's often called the Last Supper, which we just uh, read about. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Where he invites sinners of all kinds to come and to commune with him, and for us to commune with one another. But a quick comment before we get into that: uh, you know, there are several elements of worship in a worship service. I was talking about uh, the giving of tithes and offerings, but also there's singing, of course, and prayer, uh, the celebration of the sacraments, which we're going to do later in the service here today, and then the reading and the preaching of God's word as well. But I do want to point out that. We do consider those to be two separate elements, the reading of God's Word being an element and a separate element, the preaching of God's Word. Now, sometimes the, uh, the element of the reading of God's Word is exactly the passage that's being preached, but sometimes, like today, uh, it's a bit different. Uh, today, the passage we read is a bit longer than what I'm going to preach on. It's uh, going to focus today on verses 19, 20, and 21, which is where the Lord actually institutes the Lord's Supper. But don't think that because we're doing that, we're ignoring God's word. Actually, we're trying to honor it and to give you a greater context uh, for the three verses I am going to focus on uh, by doing that. So just wanted to make that a little instructional tidbit, no extra charge, but let's uh, pray before we do consider that part of the scripture. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word, that it's inspired of you. And that... uh, Uh, Holy Spirit, you inspired it and brought it into being, and you dwell in our hearts as well. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one to teach us and to guide us into its truth, and that you would also sanctify us and change us, transforming us more and more into the image of Christ, which is your purpose in us. So Father, we give this time to you and pray that you would be at work, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. First thing I wanna point out is how Jesus loved to eat with sinners. He loved eating with sinners, so it seems. One day while walking into Jericho, for instance, he saw this short little dude who had climbed up a tree uh, so he could catch uh, Jesus and see him as he walked by. Jesus calls out to him and invites himself to stay at this guy's house, which is pretty forward, I would think, but Jesus did it. He can get away with anything. Turns out the man was a guy named Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And so sure enough, he has Jesus over to his house and he has a great banquet in Jesus' honor and he invites all of his friends, many of whom, like him, are tax collectors. I don't suppose tax collectors were any more popular then than they are now, but it was even worse back in those days because they were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, the oppressors there in Israel. And it was likely that he would be skimming plenty off the top for himself as well. As a result, though, of Jesus going to this man's house, many in the crowd saw it and muttered this. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. They were right. Another time, Jesus saw another tax collector sitting at his tax booth. And he walks right up to the man and says, follow me. Matthew was his name. Matthew immediately left his tax booth, never to return again. He also held a great banquet for Jesus and he invited his friends over, many of whom also happened to be tax collectors, as you can imagine. The Pharisees were indignant about this and asked Jesus this question Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And finally, Jesus once told three parables in a row the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost uh, coin and the parable of the two lost sons or what we normally think of as the parable of the prodigal son. Why did he do that? Because the Pharisees were once again muttering. A lot of muttering went on in the gospels, it seems. And they muttered this, this man, speaking of Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a comment when you think about it. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, guess what? He still does. And that's a good thing. So if you would like to uh, take part in a meal with Jesus today and some of his present day disciples this morning, the only qualification is that you would know yourself to be a sinner and to have accepted Jesus' offer to trade your sin in for his righteousness. It's called faith. Trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and to bring you to God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's what verses 19 and 20 especially are about, uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And uh, before we get into that more specifically, though, I do want to set up the context a little bit for you. Our passage describes how Jesus reclined at the table, as it says in verse 14, and uh, as Kevin pointed out last week, uh, don't have in your mind the uh, Da Vinci, famous painting by Da Vinci. They didn't sit around tables like we sort of have it set up here, but they reclined at this table together for Passover. And while Jesus' words sound familiar to us and comforting to us, as he talks about the body, his body, the bread, and his blood, the cup, and all that, it would have been shocking to the 12 disciples. Think about the situation that as they had, might have experienced it. Just days earlier, Jesus had ridden down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem, Jerusalem as the prophesied king, righteous and humble, riding on a donkey. That was in fulfillment to a prophecy. He was here comes the king. Who then went into the temple and announced that his house was a house of prayer, not the den of thieves that they were making it. And then every day in the temple courts uh, was teaching the people, much as uh, Moses had predicted there would be the prophet who would come like him. And that's what Jesus was doing. So as far as the disciples likely thought, it doesn't get any better than this. They surely thought that Jesus was at any moment gonna usher in the kingdom, take over, and redeem Israel as they really hoped that he would. But then it all changed. All of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about suffering. In verse 15, he talks about suffering. Who said anything about suffering? You're going to become the king, right? Then he says the bread is his body and the cup is the new covenant in his blood. What is he talking about? And then finally, he says that one of the 12, one of the apostles who've been with him for years is going to betray him. This was not the conversation, the Passover conversation they were expecting. Yet as as shocking as it was to the disciples, it's even more shocking for us in hindsight, for we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. We know that over the next 24 hours, the Son of God is going to be arrested, denied, mocked, spit upon, beaten, crucified, and finally killed after being denied by the Father. As Peter would later describe it, we killed the author of life. But Jesus said he eagerly desired to have this Passover with his disciples, and it wasn't because he wanted to shock them, but he wanted to bless them. And that's what the Lord's Supper really is all about. So we're going to look at that now, and we're going to look at it sort of in two ways. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper, this sacrament, first in regard to what we see. What do we see when we look at the Lord's table? And then secondly, what do we do? So what do we see, number one, and then what do we do? So I've uh, put together something of a table here to help you see how all this connects, and uh, hopefully that will be an assistance to you in seeing what the Lord's Supper is all about. First of all, Jesus has two different elements, uh, the bread and then the cup. Now, of course, these were elements that would have been used in the Passover supper, but now he's transforming, like we said, uh, Passover into the Lord's Supper. But he takes these two elements And he says some really curious things about him. when you think about it. Um, The bread represents his body and the cup, his blood. And here's the action that goes on. That is the action of Christ in this. The bread represents his body, which is given for you. Given for you. And the cup represents his blood, which is poured out for you. I love those last two words in both of those phrases, for you. The next time you're tempted to wonder whether uh, God has done anything for you or if he's thinking about you or cares about you, remember these words. Come to this passage, Luke 22:19 19 and 20, and realize what he has done, what he has given, what he has poured out for you. In other words, what Jesus is talking about here, of course, is the cross. He's describing the cross in pictorial language, if you will, with these elements that he has on the table. And since Jesus says to do this in remembrance of him, let's take just a moment to remember why the cross is necessary. Why did Jesus need to die on the cross? It's basically the gospel. So take a look at this. Remember these? Who could recite them? The the exam will be at the end of the service, by the way. You only get to leave if you know all of these. No, I'm kidding. But let's do go over it because it does summarize the gospel so well, which is why we went through that series, among other things. First off, of course, God made. He created this wonderful world that we have to live in and made us in his image in order to rule in his name and to have relationship with him. So God made this beautiful world that we live in. But the second icon up there, We broke. Very good. Some of y'all got it. Uh, We broke. Adam and Eve and every one of us since have turned away from God. We've turned away from God and have made a mess of ourselves and a mess of the whole fallen world we live in. And in spite of the fact that the next three God chose and God freed and God shepherded Abraham, Moses, and David all those things that he did for us, we still, the next one, strayed away. We strayed. As Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And think about it. After all that God has done for us, making making us in his image, uh, having us to rule the world for him and all of that, and we've turned our backs on him and gone astray? God had every right, really, to leave us there. He had every right to say, well, if you don't want me, that's fine. Okay, we'll leave you in that spot. But he doesn't. He pursues us. And that's the next three because looking at the cradle there, Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose. All we like sheep have gone astray, said Isaiah 53. And it goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is, on the cross, Jesus died to take the punishment, to take the hell that we all deserved, that we might get his righteousness in exchange. It's the best trade you could ever ask for. And that's what Jesus offers us. That's the essence of the gospel. And that's what is depicted in the elements of the Lord's Supper. Now, if you remember the table I had up there, it also talks about how the cup is uh, the new covenant in his blood, which is poured out for us. So let's talk about the new covenant for just a moment because it basically is saying the same thing. The new covenant is uh, uh, something that God promised back in Jeremiah 31. There was the old covenant, of course, uh, several covenants really in the Old Testament era, but then God promised a new covenant to come. And the book of Hebrews really is a uh, a lengthy description of the difference this new covenant makes that we have in Christ. And I think it's perhaps best summed up in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. Uh, Speaking of the Old uh, old Covenant system, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In and of themselves, they couldn't take, take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Uh, that's what the new covenant's all about. And I especially love that last sentence. By one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Perfect forever. So if you have put your trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, it's as though you are perfect. You are clothed, as it were, in Christ's righteousness. So that's the status. That's how God looks at us. And he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's, what, that's the process God has us under in that he is making us more and more like Christ. So we're, our status is perfect, but I don't know about y'all, but I'm not there yet. And I don't think any of y'all are either. So that's the process God has us under in terms of sanctifying us, making us more and more like him. So again, that's what we see, the cross depicted in the elements and what they stand for. Now let's take a consideration of what we do. Again, you'll notice that we don't just look at the elements, right? Uh, We don't just look at them. We eat them and drink them. Let's talk about why we do that for a moment. Why don't we just look at it? Why is it that we partake of them? Well, let's say it's your birthday Anybody have a birthday out there today? Uh, apparently no one that wants to admit it anyway. But um, let's say it's your birthday and someone who really cares about you and that you really care about uh, has, is coming to you with a gift. Beautifully wrapped, nice colorful ribbon and a bow, all that sort of stuff. Obviously someone cares about you and took the time to get you something, wrap it up nicely and wants to hand it to you. And let's say they come to you and smiling face and all that handed out to you and you say, no, thank you. That doesn't make any sense, right? Why would you do that? That's a uh, a big problem for many reasons. For one, you lose out on what's probably going to be a really nice gift. This is obviously a book, and everyone loves books, right? And it's probably written by C.S. Lewis, and so you're <laughs> you're going to turn that down? That makes no sense whatsoever. Why would we turn down good gifts? Doesn't make any sense from that point of view, but it also makes no sense because we have just insulted someone who cares about you very much. Why would we do that? Why would we insult someone like that? It's the same in regard to the gospel. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3.25. There he says, God presented, present almost is the idea there, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's a gift that has to be received by faith. As demonstrated in the Lord's Supper, Jesus offers us a wonderful gift as it depicts the cross, a gift which meets the greatest need each and every human being has to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of the very life of Christ on the cross. And to refuse that? To say to God, I don't need the cross, I can make it to God on my own. Or to say, well, all roads lead to God anyway. Or, I don't believe you exist, God or I believe in a God of love. All this talk about sin is just oppressive. To say any of this or anything like it is the ultimate insult to God who gave so much to make things right for us in our relationship with him. Take the gift. The Lord offers the gift freely to anyone who will take it. Take the gift. Pray to God and acknowledge to him, if you never have, that You are a sinner, that you have strayed away, that you have turned your back on him, and that you accept the gift of forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to him through what Christ did for us on the cross. That's what faith is. Put your faith in Christ that you might have life in his name. Now back to the Lord's Supper, how all that Um, has meaning for the Lord's Supper. Again, notice that we don't just look at the elements, we partake of them. It's the same idea. It's accepting the gift. It's saying that we have accepted the gift that is depicted there in the elements. So partaking of the Lord's Supper is basically a declaration of your faith, that you do have faith in Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's also an act of faith. So a declaration of your faith on the one hand, that's how you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, by the way. But it's also an act of faith. Just as the eating and drinking uh, gives you a measure, I know not much, but a measure of physical nourishment, so by faith it gives a spiritual nourishment. We partake of the Lord's Supper for the same reasons that we read the scriptures, that we pray, that we fellowship with other Christians, that we might grow in our faith. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 55 and 56, that my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So we see how our Lord has so graciously provided this wonderful table, this wonderful gift for us to meet together and to commune with one another and to commune with him. At the original Last Supper, he was communing with the 12 apostles. Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 11 that the church meets and communes together with the Lord. It's uh, not something to be done privately. It's all in anticipation of the great wedding feast to come where we will all relate with each other and the Lord in joyful harmony. More on that next week. But we're not quite there yet, are we? Even at the Last Supper, Jesus points this out. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Luke twenty-two twenty-one. The hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on this table that we're talking about in this series. Just a few verses earlier, verse 3 of chapter 22, we read that Satan entered into Judas at that point. One of the 12, it's staggering that the serpent could slither so close to the heart of the kingdom. He's right there, one of the apostles, with Jesus at this table. His hand is on the table along with Jesus' hand. So if he can slither in that close at that point, It shouldn't surprise us that he slithers in today into churches, into families, into sessions, into life groups, and any other place that you can possibly imagine. Now, you might be tempted to say, well, why doesn't God do something about that? But the real question is, why don't you do something? Why don't I do something about it? Ever since Adam and Eve took and ate not the bread And the cup, but the evil suggestions of the serpent, again, we've been doing the same thing. And God has done something about it. He's done so much about it. Here's just a few things. He tells us to be alert. He warns us to be alert, for the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5.8. He gives us a way out of every temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13. We have an escape hatch for every temptation we ever are in. So the next time you're feeling tempted about something, look for the escape hatch. There's going to be a way out one way or another that God gives us. He gives us also the full armor of God, Ephesians 6. And all the things that are listed there were those different pieces of armor that Paul talks about. But basically he gives us the full armor by which we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And therefore stand against the devil's schemes. So God has given us so much, and he has given us this table. As I said, this table, as we partake of it by faith, is a way for us to grow in our faith and grow stronger in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we so desperately need to come to the Lord's table. Remember, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Sinners who know they are sinners, but also know they've been saved by the life, death, and resurrection Christ and have been reconciled and therefore want to grow ever closer to him. Let's together come and eat with our Savior right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you've loved us so much that you sent your Son. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you came and that you gave of your body and you gave of your blood that we might be reconciled to you and forgiven and all the rest. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us this sacrament, which depicts all of that for us. And now as we go to it, would you be present with us in a special way, we ask in Christ's name, amen.